Welcome, welcome, welcome to Moments of Genius here on CMRU.ca by students for you. My name is Peter Roman, and over the next hour, I'll be going through some of the biggest sporting moments and playing some pretty great music along the way. My show today, very action-packed. I get to talk about the NFL draft that I didn't get to talk about during the break, so I'll have some notes about that as well. I was fortunate enough to be able to go to the rivalry game between Calgary's brand new Canadian Premier League soccer team, as well as Edmonton's well, I guess they're also a brand new Canadian Premier League soccer team, but they, their soccer team's been around for a little longer than that. But anyway, I'll have all of that, as well as the NHL conference final recap, Bruins, Hurricanes, Blue Sharks, and we have ourselves a Stanley Cup final matchup now. But I'm going to start today with the NBA playoffs, mostly because the team that in Canada is you know, the team to support. The Raptors are still in it. So Toronto and Milwaukee tied now 2-2 with the Raptors getting a big win in game number four to even up the series as Milwaukee won game one and two on their home floor and Toronto followed that up with wins on their home floor. Really kind of interesting games. Game one, Toronto was probably the better team for most of the game. However, went ice cold in the last five minutes of the game where they did not score a single basket and Milwaukee went on to win. In the second game, Milwaukee just shot the lights out and it wasn't even close. They they basically won that game by halftime because Toronto never stood a chance. Milwaukee were just made... It felt like they hit every single three-pointer in that game. Game three was the marathon game that ended up going to double overtime. Kawhi Leonard had to play a career-high 52 minutes in the win for Toronto. And then game four, Toronto was able to pull away in the third and fourth quarter, and it ended up being a nice, comfortable blowout win for the Raptors, as even though Kawhi Leonard didn't have his best game necessarily in game four, the role players stepped up, and especially the Raptors bench. And that's something that we haven't seen in these playoffs really at all so far. The Raptors bench has more often than not been a weakness for this team, but I have to give ton of credit because Van Vliet showed up, finally. Serge Ibaka was just a monster in this game. He was abusing on the offensive glass. He really was. And then... Norman Powell, he was really good in both games in Toronto. Game three and four, Powell was so key off the bench. And I know he fouled out in game three, but the sixth foul wasn't really a foul. That was kind of, that was an unfortunate call that went against Toronto, but they won the game. So that's pretty much all that matters for them. Ultimately, I mean, the series is pretty much going when you think about after four games, it's 2-2. I think that's what a lot of people would have thought, except for maybe those in the U.S. that don't give the Raptors as much respect as what they should. But, I mean, these were the two best teams in the Eastern Conference, and they're playing like the two best teams in the Eastern Conference. The only problem in this series is, you know, there's a team waiting for them that's already finished their series, and I'll get to that here in a minute. But I want to make note just... The Raptors, I mean, 
it, it's a weird position they're in right now because this is now so they have 10 wins in the playoffs now this is the most they've ever had because they had 10 wins in 2016 when they made the Eastern Conference Final and lost to the Cavaliers in six. But this team feels a lot different than that team. See, that team got blown out twice by Cleveland at home. Like, it wasn't even close. Like, they were just completely outmatched in Cleveland. And then they won game three and four, but they felt like really gutsy, you know, grind them out effort wins. As opposed to, like, it felt like the Raptors, you know, effort carried them to victory rather than their talent necessarily in those games against Cleveland. This year, it feels like the Raptors are a pretty evenly matched team to Milwaukee. It doesn't feel like either team is really that much better than the other. Like, Milwaukee are definitely the better three-point shooting team. I think that's pretty obvious to see for anyone who's watched this series. But Toronto... I think are definitely the better defensive team because, and again, back to Kawhi Leonard, ever since he started being matched up against Giannis Antetokounmpo, he has struggled in this series. And that's strange to me, not because Kawhi isn't an amazing defender, he is, but Giannis is so much longer. His wingspan is ridiculously long. And for Kawhi Leonard to continue to make it difficult for him, I think is a testament to how great a defender he is. But also, it might be a testament, too, to the fact that Milwaukee haven't really been here before. Apart from George Hill, that roster is very much devoid of playoff experience. So, it's a best of three now. Toronto does have to win one in Milwaukee in order to win the series. But I think their performance in Game 1 has shown they can reach that level. They just need to do it and finish out the game is essentially kind of what they need to do. I want to make another note too. Kyle Lowry, wow, he has turned back the clock. Because it feels like he's playing a regular season game. He's been so good in this series. Like, his performance in game one, I mean, he hits like seven of eight threes, which was ridiculous. Like, Lowry just couldn't miss in game one. And then in game four... He led the team in scoring with 25 points and was everywhere and basically did all the... He does all the little things anyway, like drawing charges and diving for loose balls and all of that. But Lowry's finally starting to show in this series his offensive capability. And and if the Raptors can get this version of Kyle Lowry for the rest of the series, they have a shot because... Lowry's definitely not good enough to be the best player on a championship team, but if he's playing like the way he has been in the series, maybe he can be the second best player on a championship team. I certainly think so, anyway. That's assuming, of course, they could win the finals, which I'm not so sure, but that's because of the team they'd face. But anyway, best of three, Milwaukee, Toronto, there will be game five, and minimum game six, maybe a game seven. We'll have to wait and see on that. I don't know. I, I, I feel cautiously optimistic. Maybe this is the year, because it, it's a weird position to be in when you're two wins away from the finals and Toronto has never made the NBA finals in their history. But they're also two wins away from losing in this series. So it'll all be, it'll be about adjustments and ultimately who comes to play. But I, I feel like 
at this point, it's pretty 50-50, Milwaukee and Toronto. Toronto certainly have the momentum right now, but Milwaukee going back home, they were one of the best home teams in the NBA throughout the regular season and the first two rounds of the NBA postseason. So, all to play for, and I'm very excited to watch because this is probably Toronto's best chance because these two teams are very evenly matched, in my opinion. So, should be very fun. Anyway, moving on from the East to the Western Conference Series. Golden State versus Portland was a sweep. (laughs) Golden State swept Portland. Amazingly, Golden State actually trailed for more time in this series than they led. But, I mean, they're the Warriors. There's a reason why Golden State is a dynasty and it was on full display. Because, despite the fact that there was no Kevin Durant because he's still hurt with that strained calf he suffered in the second round against the Houston Rockets. Boogie Cousins still out as well with his injury he suffered in round one against the LA Clippers. And Andre Iguodala, probably Golden State's second most important defender on the team, apart from Draymond Green, he was out for game four with the sore Achilles apparently he's been dealing with for a while now. In spite of that, the Warriors still won. Because it seems to me, as long as Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green are on that team, they're fine. Because they've taken their games to just another level. And I feel bad for Portland. Because Portland actually have a good team. I like their team a lot. But I feel their team is just too similar to Golden State, as currently constructed without Duran and Boogie and Iguodala. Just because... When you think about the Portland Trailblazers, their two best players are their backcourt, CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard. And they're a great backcourt, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to disrespect them in any way. They're a great backcourt. Golden State have a historically good backcourt, though. There's a difference. There's, you know, Portland is great, but Golden State is historically good. And that's kind of the problem, is that the Blazers are kind of like the cheaper version of the Warriors. And I know that might sound a little harsh to Blazers fans, but Portland just, it was obvious to tell. When Golden State locked in and focused, they were just, it wasn't close. Portland were just blown out. (laughs) Like, the Blazers would have these leads, and they're, they're gone in four minutes, because Golden State are Golden State. And it's... It's unfortunate for the Blazers because you know what? They should be really proud of their season because making it all the way to the conference finals for the first time in 20 years, they should be very proud of their season because their team, I think, overachieved expectations for sure. The problem, they ran into a dynasty. And the longer the Raptors-Bucks series goes, I think the more Golden State are likely to win that series just because... The Warriors are going to get over a week of rest. And the Raptors and the Bucks might not get a whole ton of rest, especially if that series goes to seven, which it very well might. So, Golden State, I mean, they're probably going to get Durant back too. And Cousins might be back in the finals. Uh, As much as I'd love to believe that Toronto or Milwaukee would stand a chance against Golden State in the finals... 
I don't think they would. I think Golden State would beat either one of those teams. For Toronto, just making to the finals would be a win in itself. But And even Milwaukee, too. Milwaukee haven't been in the finals forever, but it's a problem when you face a dynasty. And, I mean, there's no shame in losing to the dynasty, but it's it does kind of suck when you feel like you have a good team, but there's just this other team that's historically good. Because ultimately, I think when this decade comes to a close, the 2010 decade in NBA basketball, it'll be defined by two things. LeBron James and the Golden State Dynasty. And Golden State, who knows? Maybe that dynasty will continue into the next decade. Although, a lot of that will depend on what happens this summer. But their team is unbelievable. And Curry, by the way, broke a record in this series. He has now the most points ever in a four-game sweep by a team. So, or sorry, by a player in a four-game sweep, I should say. But, yeah. Golden State, just unbelievable. They're the only team in NBA history, by the way, to make at least five straight finals since Bill Russell's Celtics back in the 60s. That's pretty much it. That's all I have to say about the NBA playoffs. It's been a lot of fun. And next week, I'll get to recap the entire Raptors-Bucks series. Really pull in for, for Toronto, for sure. And I'll also get to preview the NBA Finals, whether that's Golden State versus Milwaukee or Golden State versus Toronto. Coming up in my next segment, I'm going to talk about the NHL playoffs. Conference Finals both came to a close. Bruins and Hurricanes, Blues and Sharks. We have a... I'm not going to say unexpected Stanley Cup final because everything's been unexpected, but it's certainly one that I don't think a lot of people would have seen coming from the start of the NHL playoffs. But anyway, I just have the one song in my first music break of the day, and that is Guns N' Roses with Sweet Child O' Mine. Oh, 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 
Welcome back to Moments of Genius here on CMRU.ca by Students For You. I'm into my second segment of the day, and that is the NHL Playoff Conference Final Recap. So, there's kind of only one way to start with the Eastern Conference Series, and that is by going back to the first round. So, the Islanders swept the Penguins, only to get swept by the Hurricanes, who then went and got swept by the Bruins. Boston won this series 4 to nothing and it's a weird weird flow there in the East. And if that holds, then that means that Boston will get swept in the Stanley Cup Finals. That makes sense, right? <laughs> I mean, in reality probably not, but just because that's just probably a happy coincidence, but I mean, certainly it's not the first time I've seen something like this. I remember in the end of in the NFL playoffs, there was the year that New England won the Super Bowl against Seattle. It was a weird year because Detroit should have beaten Dallas, but got screwed over on a bad officiating call. And then Dallas should have beaten Green Bay, but they got screwed over on a bad officiating call. And then Green Bay should have beaten Seattle, but they choked hard in the fourth quarter. And then Seattle should have beaten New England, but of course they elected not to give the ball to Marshawn Lynch on the one-yard line. So... It's not the first time I've seen something like this, but it's. I just thought it was kind of a funny coincidence. Anyway, um, back to the actual series. It was total domination. Boston Bruins were quite easily the superior team. Carolina looked like a team that had overachieved. That's that's what it felt like to me. And no disrespect to Carolina. They had a tremendous season. And I was actually rooting for Carolina to win this series just because... Dougie Hamilton, Michael Furlan, former Flames on that team. So I like Carolina's team, but Boston were just in control. And Boston are a little bit of a weird team. If they do win the cup final, as to who the Conn Smythe winner would be. Because Brad Marchand's actually second right now in the playoff scoring race. He has 18 points in 17 games, which would make you think that Marchand or maybe even Pasternak, who's also having a tremendous playoff run, it would maybe be one of those two winning Conn Smythe. But Rask has been really good in goal for them. Uh, like Ever since that first round series against Toronto, he's just been lights out in net. So 
There's a little bit of a debate. If Boston do win the cup, who's going to be that Conn Smythe winner? I mean, this series, the one really competitive game was game three. And by that point, after Boston won, two to one, game four, fairly easy win, four nothing over the Hurricanes, who should be very proud of their season in the same way that Portland should be very proud of their season because Carolina certainly overachieved this season and made a very impressive deep run. You know, they beat the defending champion Washington Capitals in the first round. They were able to sweep the Islanders. Boston are a really good team. And it hasn't been easy for Boston, especially in the first two rounds. But they've gotten the job done. And now they find themselves in the Stanley Cup final with a chance to win their first cup in... Well, I guess it's not... It's long when you think about years, but it's short when you think about... Compared to other teams, they've actually won the Cup pretty recently. They won the Stanley Cup in 2011. So, it'll be their first trip to the finals, though, since 2013. That year, they lost to the Chicago Blackhawks. So, Boston, I'm I'm sure, will be looking to avenge that defeat for for the few players that remain from that roster. I know most of the team is different now, but... There are certainly some holdovers from the last time they were in the finals. To the West series. This is a lot more competitive, but it is the St. Louis Blues going to their second ever Stanley Cup final with a win in six games over the San Jose Sharks. This series was, I thought, very evenly matched. Unfortunately, San Jose ran into a injury crisis at the worst possible time. In game six, when they lost 5-1, Joe Pavelski couldn't play because of injury. Timo, uh, sorry, Thomas Hurdle, my apologies. He was injured as well, couldn't play. And Eric Carlson couldn't play as well due to injury. So it just sucks. Like sometimes, sometimes you just don't get the luck. And you know what? I have to give full credit to St. Louis. They have had to grind out every single series. They had to go to six with the Jets. They had to go to seven and double overtime with the Stars. And now they had to go six with the Sharks. But St. Louis, they're a cool story this year. Because St. Louis are a perfect example of why the regular season doesn't mean a ton. Ultimately, regular season doesn't matter until January. And... This year, I think, is a perfect example of don't overextend yourself in the regular season trying to get some kind of advantage because it's not worth it. It's really not. As Tampa Bay, I'm sure, are regretting how much they won in the regular season because it clearly costs them. Either that or just their players are mentally weak in the playoffs, which could be a little bit of both, to be honest, considering Nikita Kucherov and Steven Stamkos have really bad scoring records in the playoffs. And that's something that if Tampa Bay want to win a cup, that has to change. Anyway, back to the Blues. They're another team that I think is interesting if you talk about who would be the Conn Smythe winner for their MVP so far in the playoffs. Just because... Jaden Schwartz is probably the pick. Him or Ryan O'Reilly. Those two up front, I think, have been their most important players for the Blues. But then you can even look defensively, because they've been really solid defensively. I might even look at Jordan Bennington. I think Bennington has been a little underrated in this postseason. And that's a little hard, like, 
that might be difficult to say just because he's been so good. But I think Bennington might be the front runner in St. Louis right now to win the Conn Smythe. Because, I, I mean, I don't know. Just like Boston, there's a number of candidates. It's it's a very weird year. Like last year, if Vegas were going to win the Cup, Flurry was going to win Conn Smythe easily. Like Marc-Andre Flurry was easily the best player on Vegas last year. And if Washington were going to win the Cup... It was pretty obvious it was going to be Alex Ovechkin just because he finally got over the hump and achieved ultimate greatness in the Stanley Cup playoffs. So last year I thought it was pretty easy. You know, if the Capitals were going to win, it was probably going to be Ovechkin. If the Knights were going to win, it was almost certainly going to be Flurry. This year it's like eh, maybe there's like three, four guys on each team that I think deserve some kind of mention as far as a MVP Conn Smythe performance. So a lot of it will come down to the Stanley Cup final, ultimately. Game one is set to go Monday, May 27th in Boston. St. Louis will be trying to win their first ever Stanley Cup, which should be very exciting. And for anybody who's a fan of The Office, I think it's very funny. NHL.com tweeted this. But apparently, John Krasinski, who plays Jim on the show, he is a Bruins fan. And Jenna Fisher is a Blues fan. So it's a office showdown, Jim and Pam, Boston and St. Louis, which I thought was very funny, but very cool at the same time. I think it's also funny that Jim on the show is actually an Eagles fan, which I always loved. And it's funny watching those episodes because I I didn't watch them while they went on TV. I watched them after the fact, but it's just watching it and hearing them diss the Eagles for not winning a championship is just funny just because they they won it of course in 2018 but either way it's kind of cool Jim versus Pam in the NHL Stanley Cup final St. Louis and Boston if I have to give a prediction hmm this is tough see I want St. Louis to win personally just because it would be really cool to see the Blues win their first ever Stanley Cup. But if I had to pick with my head and not what I'd want to happen, I'm going to say Bruins in six. I'm going to say Bruins in six is my Stanley Cup final prediction. St. Louis, though, I would love it if they won. I would be perfectly happy being wrong in this pick. But I'm going to pick Boston in six. Hope St. Louis wins, though. And... Should be very fun. Stanley Cup final, I think, will probably, between those candidates that I mentioned in the Conn Smythe race, that'll probably decide who wins in this final series. Anyway, that's all I have to say about the Stanley Cup playoffs. I still have lots more to come on my show, including a rivalry game in the Canadian Premier League, as well as a little bit of my own thoughts from the NFL draft that I didn't get to talk about earlier, so I'll talk a little bit about it today. Anyway, my next music break, I have USS with Nepal and Green Day with Basket Case. Find something you recognize on cmru.ca. By students, for you. Yeah, 
trip Trying to get a grip from my brain I rip Government microchip Here I am I don't understand why Fusion of illusion equals infinite confusion But we're all the same blood Building the same frame Stuck in the same mud Cheating out the same game We're all the same girl Feeling the same pain Stuck in the same curve Rushing through the same vein When I was higher than the pole I must have been peaking When you were banging on the wall I must have been sleeping Oh, pain, bone now Out of my head This place is lower than a crawl I must have been seeking On this bleak street Calibrating tweaks Shifting shadows sleep Formaldehyde and seek Neuropeptide Systems override Faith is multiplied Quantified Trust angel mechanic guide We're all the same blood Building the same frame Stuck in the same mud Cheating out the same game We're all the same girl Feeling the same pain Stuck in the same curve Rushing through the same vein When I was higher than the pole I must have been peaking When you were Socialistic battle, white collar, bread, cattle, green, riding horseback, morals, riding side saddle. Breaking me down 
Radio showcasing Mount Royal's own broadcasting talent. Over 40 unique and weekly shows. Find us at cmru.ca. By students, for you. Welcome back to Moments of Genius. I just have over about just over 20 minutes left in my show. On to segment number three. So first, before I do that, um, it's about the Al Clasico matchup between Cavalry FC, Calgary's new Canadian Premier League team, and Edmonton's team, Edmonton FC. So, first of all, shout out to my friend in broadcasting, Conrad, for inviting me out to the game. And like with every student in this program, we produce a lot of content for CMRU.ca. Make sure to head over to the website just throughout the year because there will always be new stuff popping up. And I'm sure Conrad will have lots of great content for the website throughout the upcoming year. Anyway, onto the game itself. It was a lot of fun. A lot more fun than I actually thought it would be. But a lot of that, I have to give credit to the coach of Cavalry FC, Tommy Wielden Jr., who played a four... <clears throat> My apologies. He played a formation that I didn't expect because the starting formation for Cavalry, and this was more or less what they played for most of the game, three defenders, two defensive midfielders, three attacking midfielders, and two strikers. That formation was, like, popular in the 60s. <laughs> Doing my... Knowing my history of the sport of football, that formation was a popular one during, like, the 60s and stuff. Like, that was... Yeah, that, that was really surprising to see that formation in today's game. But it worked, and it worked really well. I'll explain why. So... In this game, Cavalry won, but this game, by the way, won nothing. Uh, goal by Jordan Brown, just on the stroke of halftime. He ended up putting in a shot into the back of the net. It was off a ricochet, but nonetheless, good goal by Brown. And 
so Edmonton's team, they played a 4-2-3-1 in this game. So four defenders, two defensive midfielders, three attacking midfielders, and one striker. What that means is that when Cavalry were playing their five in midfield versus Edmonton's five in midfield, it's a calculated risk by the manager because when you do that, when you have 5v5 in midfield, you're basically saying, okay, I'm going to even up the numbers and I'm going to trust my players are better. And Cavalry's were. The midfielders, especially the defensive midfielders, Ledgerwood and Elijah Edekugbe were both really good in midfield. Just... It's so important in midfield, especially on the day that it was, because it was pretty rainy, the field was really wet and stuff like that. It's important that you win possession and you're able to get it so that way you can go forward and attack. Because Edmonton had a really hard time keeping possession in this game. They were just getting outmanned and basically outfought in midfield. And because of that, Cavalry were able to send... like It was crazy to see but they would have like four hanging out along the Edmonton back line which is pretty it's unexpected to see because a lot of coaches don't do that because a lot of more coaches are more reserved but Tommy Wielden Jr. clearly is a member of the way of thinking that I don't care how many we concede it's about scoring more than the other team I love watching those types of teams just because they're really fun to watch and it's been really successful cavalry are the only undefeated team left in the cpl the brand new canadian premier league and i think a big reason is just not not just only the talent of course but having that attacking philosophy that maybe other coaches aren't used to seeing where he's using formations and attacking philosophies that you know Especially in Canada, having grown up in the minor soccer system, I know what most coaches tend to use. And it's really conservative, really defensive, 4-4-2s. That's what a lot of them tend to do. But having that attacking flair might just be a little bit different for some of these coaches. So that was really fun to see. It was a good game. I thought Cavalry were definitely the dominant team in this matchup. And even though the score was just one, nothing, they really could have scored a lot more goals. They had a brilliant chance in the second half where a point blank header just went wide. And also I have to give a shout out to cavalry goalkeeper, Marco Carducci, because he made a fantastic save in this game around the 70th minute or so. And that helped secure the win for cavalry in this match. It was fun, for sure, and I love that the Canadian Premier League is trying to build up this rivalry. I don't love the name El Clasico, personally, just because I feel like a Clasico implies more history and more hatred. Cavalry are a brand new team. Edmonton's team has been around for a little bit, but they were in the previous... Well, they were previously in the North American Soccer League, which is the NASL. They're... The NASL is the league just below the MLS, which is the major, well, it's Major League Soccer, but it's also the, it's the big North American league in the U.S. and Canada. So that's where Edmonton's team used to be. They went into the CPL after it formed. And so this was the first matchup in a competitive game between these two teams. 
these two played in friendlies as well, but friendlies, it's not the same. Friendlies are not the same. And friendlies results don't really mean a whole lot, but these games certainly do. And Cavalry now find themselves on top of the table, undefeated, and actually with a pretty good gap in this first season. So a lot of a lot of exciting things going on. The it, it was just yeah, the atmosphere was great too. That's the other thing I wanted to mention. The fans, the atmosphere at this game. It wasn't quite I don't I don't think it was quite sold out at this match, but it certainly was pretty close. And with the fans getting into it, like it was very fun to be a part of. So I really hope this is something that can continue just for many years because having a professional soccer league in Canada, I think, is so important to the development of the sport and, most importantly, the development of the men's national team because the women's national team is really good. The women's national team have been a top 10 team in the world for what seems like a long time now. And the men's team, I mean, the men's team are ranked just, it's embarrassing sometimes. I think they're around the 70s right now, if I'm not mistaken, in the FIFA rankings. But, I mean, this was a team that was ranked in the hundreds for many, many years. And deservingly so. Canada's men's team, I'm sorry, has been an embarrassment for many, many years. All right, and I'm not saying that they need to be the best team in this continent. I'm not saying that. Like Canada losing to the US or losing to Mexico or losing to Costa Rica, perfectly acceptable. Those countries are good and they consistently make World Cups and they've had some success at World Cups getting out of the group stage. Canada can't even beat the other teams in CONCACAF. And I'm talking about the Jamaicas, the Honduras, the Trinidad and Tobago. Those, and even in the Gold Cup match, Martinique, who Canada coincidentally opened up the Gold Cup with this summer. But those are the teams who Canada's men's team can't beat. And those are the teams that, considering how popular, like, soccer in Canada is very popular among kids and the fact that that doesn't translate is a shame it really is and and i'm sure some people will point to the fact that oh canada has produced some good players but they go play for other countries why do you think they go play for other countries because the men's national team program was embarrassing and they continue to lack talent but hopefully with these with this new canadian premier league you can find more players that may have slipped through the cracks before And it gives them a chance to go into this league, they can develop, and then move on to bigger leagues, and hopefully really impact the Canadian national team. Because, man oh man, does that team need goal scorers. No, I'm not sure, I shouldn't say that, it is kind of disrespectful to Kyle Lahren and a few of the other guys who play up front. But Canada's men's national team has a really difficult time scoring goals. Like, a really hard time. Unless they're a really bad team, they don't score, like, ever in qualifying. So, Canada do have one player now who with very much a ton of attacking promise, Alfonso Davies, who plays for Bayern Munich in Europe. 
but they need more than that. You can't just have one player on your team and expect to make World Cups on a consistent basis. You need more, especially more attacking talent. Canada's goal-scoring record in World Cup qualifiers are terrible. So it's something that needs to improve, and I'm hoping the CPL will be a big success. And this was a great game, and I really hope that it's a success going forward because I would love to see Cavalry and Edmonton and more teams in the CPL continue to grow and thrive. And I think as long as the league is realistic with what it is, I think that's possible. So could be very exciting times in the future of Canadian soccer. And who knows when Canada hosts or will help co-host the World Cup in 2026. Maybe there's a chance of getting out of the group. You never know. Canada would probably get a favorable draw. So you never know. But it all comes down to I really hope the league works. And I think it can as long as it remains realistic with what it can expect from itself. Anyway, that's pretty much all I have to say about the game. It was a lot of fun. Cavalry, of course, winning, and I hope they can keep their unbeaten season going into this weekend. And as well, they have a cup competition tonight as they play in the Canadian Cup. That, of course, will give them a chance to, well, play in the Canadian Championship, but... I mean, I don't think anyone realistically thinks that the Canadian Premier League winner would beat either Vancouver, the Whitecaps, or TFC, or Montreal Impact. But just to be there is great experience and really helps grow the team and expose the team to a wider audience. So, yeah, that's pretty much all I have to say. Anyway, my next music break, I have Sia and Cheap Thrill. Listen to CMRU.ca by students for you. Come on, come on, turn the radio on. It's Friday night and I won't be long. Gotta do my hair, put my makeup on.
Listen through all your old music and boring. Experience the new world of radio from Mount Royal University. CMRU.ca broadcasts online 24-7. 365. And talk it up, my dear. CMRU.ca by students for you. Welcome back to Moments of Genius. I'm into my final segment of the day, and that is doing a quick little recap of the NFL draft, just because I didn't get to talk about that when it happened, and there was a whole lot of other sporting events that happened in between my break, so I needed to catch up on them. But anyway, I do want to quickly talk about the NFL draft. I'm not the biggest draft enthusiast, I should say, just because I don't actually watch college football like at all but i do like doing a lot of research into the draft just because even though it's in my opinion it's impossible to tell whether or not a player is going to be good or not at the nfl level going from college to nfl i do think that you can get a sense for what players are valued at by doing a lot of research so like if for example When I look at research for the NFL draft, what I will do is I'm going to go look at NFL networks and Fox and CBS and ESPN and all those different networks. They all have their different draft analysts. And so even though there's going to be disagreement for sure, if there's a player who maybe one guy has ranked as the 10th best player and another one has ranked as the 20th and then maybe another one has him 13th, even though you're not entirely sure how good he's going to be at the next level, as far as what he's valued at, certainly this player is a guy who, you know, according to a lot of people, a lot of people think he's, you know, somewhere in that, you know, around the 15th best player in the draft, something like that. I like doing that for research just because it gives me a sense of who teams are picking and when they're picking them and all that different stuff. But anyway... As far as my overall notes, my first one is number one overall pick, Kyler Murray, who went to the Arizona Cardinals. He better work because Arizona traded away Josh Rosen, who they picked a year ago, number 10 overall. And now they have Kyler Murray, who they took number one overall. So for Arizona, it better work because if Rosen plays well, for Miami or for another team or something like that, and Kyler Murray doesn't, Arizona are going to look like a really dumb franchise. So a lot of chips are put on Kyler Murray's shoulders, and we'll see if he can live up to those expectations because there will be very high expectations on this kid. Rightly or wrongly, he will always be compared to Rosen, and if he doesn't live up to the level that Rosen plays at, it's going to be considered a big mistake and a waste of a pick so i certainly hope that he can do he he can make his team look good but we'll have to wait and see on that the oakland raiders i thought were one of the very i don't think they had a very good draft their pick at number four cleveland farrell not that i'm not i'm not saying he's gonna be a bad player but the highest I saw him ranked among the NFL draft people was 17. And he was picked four by Oakland. Not sure if that's a very smart pick for them. They also picked a running back with the pick they got for Cleo Mack. And, I mean, even if Josh Jacobs turns out to be a good running back, it's hard to value a running back as highly as you value a pass rusher. 
that's just, I, I think, a pretty common sense opinion. So I, I don't think Oakland had a very good draft. The Giants, similar to the Arizona Cardinals, Arizona Cardinals, they picked a quarterback. They picked Daniel Jones, who was ranked below quite a few other quarterbacks, according to some. So, especially Dwayne Haskins, because Dwayne Haskins went to, he was a lot of people's number two ranked quarterback. He went to Washington. So, if Daniel Jones isn't better than Haskins, they're always going to be compared in the same division. Giants aren't going to look too good. So, but they do have at least a replacement for Eli long term. So, I will give the Giants a little bit of credit there. My Philadelphia Eagles went mostly offense in this draft and got Dillard to replace Jason Peters. Dillard was actually, for a lot of people, the highest-ranked offensive lineman in this draft. So very excited to see that. And I'm really excited to watch the Eagles next season. And finally, the last little note I wanted to make, the Houston Texans. They went offensive line, which is very good. And I really hope those players work out for them because they... The Texans drafted a couple of linemen, one in the first round, one in the second round, and now maybe Deshaun Watson won't get sacked 60 times, and we can truly see the best of the young quarterback. That's all my. That's all the time I have today. That is my show. I want to thank everyone for tuning in today to Moments of Genius.